Hi folks, I'm going to do another read aloud from Wee. This is part two. Um, I'm south of Tucson today in uh, Green Valley, Arizona, uh, on the site of the Count Ferdinand von Gallen Titan Missile Museum Education and Research Center. And evidently this is, uh, it's a national historic site and it's, I think the only remaining uh, Titan II uh, missile silo for um, nuclear weapons. It's been deactivated, uh, but it still sort of represents an intact demonstration of how these missile silos operated and um, the demonstration of all the launch codes and how all that worked um, in, the, in the game of mutually assured destruction. And, you know, in doing the, the research that I've been doing, I've, I've really come to sort of question the larger narrative around the Cold War. And the, the gentleman who gave us our tour, he had served here as a young guy um, in the 70s. And, you know, he, he, was, he was a very capable tour guide, um, you know, and his assertion was very much about it being a, um, a peace, a, a program of peace, right? Like if you have something that's so big that it wasn't a strike force, but it was a retaliator. Like if, if the Soviet Union struck first, then we would strike back and I don't know, like 12 million tons of TNT equivalency, you know, something that just a huge, huge amount of um, huge destruction. And, you know, I feel like so much of what we've been sort of going through in the simulation and the gaming and the chaos theory and the game theory and the simulation modeling, it's it's very much about, all of this came about during the Cold War. Um, but when I found out about like the Pugwash conferences and that the high level scientists, um, both the, the US and the Soviet Union and around the world were consulting um, throughout the Cold War on various matters um, of high level sort of emerging technology you know, it really makes me reconsider what, what it was all about. And, and the other thing is that these Titan missiles, this one was, was a, a weapon, but that the, the missiles themselves, I guess they lasted for like a lifespan of 40 years. I'm curious, I need to look up who that like actually built them, what the technology was, but there was a plaque from Raytheon in the downstairs area. Um, Yeah, so they, they lasted for four years, but some of them were used also for space missions. So I guess the Apollo missions and a number of them were refurbished, uh, the rockets themselves, um, to be used for space exploration, um, space missions. Uh, so yeah, space, consciousness, Cold War, weaponized space. Um, and behind me is, so the, the, I guess that there were three areas with Titan II missiles. There was uh, here in Tucson, so I think there are maybe 15 or 18 silos around Tucson. Uh, there were silos in Nebraska, I guess around Omaha, and then there were silos in Little Rock, Arkansas. So at least of the Titan IIs, and then there, I guess there, the other um, Minuteman missiles or some other missiles and missiles carried by planes and submarines, other many, many missiles. They said they actually, they had to time it. They had the synchronized clock to Zulu time, which I guess is Greenwich Mean Time, um, that would be synced with the atomic clock in Boulder. It was a clock that didn't, it was wound once a week and it was like infinitely perfect and it's been running perfectly since 1963 when this was built. I think it was decommissioned in the 80s after the Reagan era agreement to decommission them. 
But uh, yeah, that they all had to be timed because like when the end of the world happened, there would be so many missiles flying over the North Pole uh, that they had to be coordinated in time properly. So I guess they don't run into each other and fall over the North Pole. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite something. So again, that's the story that we're told. Um, you know, it's the story we're still being told. There was quite a lot of um, comments from the tour guide about Russia and Putin and sort of the threat of nuclear war on the horizon again today. So that that story of the end of the world is coming, the Armageddon stuff, it still has its use uh, today. Uh, but yeah, you know, I wonder, I wonder about, you know, the Manhattan Project, say, going into the Human Genome Project and the use of radioisotopes and um, what it was ultimately all about. Um, but yeah, I guess this is one of the few places in North America that you can come see a Titan II missile silo. So that's what I did today on my birthday <laughs> to, to reflect upon uh, the story of mutually assured destruction in game theory and uh, prediction and risk analysis and how all of that modeling is now being applied to the game, the game of the CIA's uh, mixed reality video. So I do want to spend a little time just going back to we. Um, oh, and just to say, like, so behind me is the actual launch pad. I guess there's a copper mine out there. They said at the time that this copper mine was eight miles away. Like, no one lived around here. There's now a town, but they're like, nobody would live near here because there was a, you know, the Soviet Union had bombs targeting, you know, this particular location for imminent destruction should, should it all go down. Um, but since then, now there's this town that's been built up around and there's a copper mine. And as part of the agreement to decommission the site, um, these huge, huge doors that would open up and pull back for the, the, the missile to go up. Um, they're like half open and then sealed with these concrete blocks. And that I guess there's a glass window to look in and there has to be like a hole in the place where the bomb would go. And that the, the guy said, you know, regularly the satellites look down, you know, from the Soviet Union to make sure that we didn't like sneak a bomb in there at some point. So that's the stuff that's behind me is sort of the apparatus that the missile silo is under uh, that, that paved area out there. And there's a helicopter, I guess, they would be flown in, this, the people who are manning the missile base, uh, probably from Tucson. It was a 24-hour shift and uh, various kind of fuels and engines and various things up here up top and lots of radio frequency. There, there's actually, um, let me see if you can see over this way, uh, there, that thing in the distance, that crazy kind of thing, it's some sort of uh, radio antenna that would be used. I, I guess, they, I mean, they said clearly if this was going to actually... Um, the world was ending that that thing would get blown over but I guess just in case they would have some way of communicating with people all over the world it's like a a big ham radio um, so yeah so there's lots of like signals intelligence I guess I guess that's the whole thing is that when you have these giant weapons the key part of it is communicating the launch <laughs> and having all of the you know encryption and and everything around the launch signals Oh, and one other thing. So, um, you know, he was showing us the whole, you know, scenario, the keys and the locked cabinet and the codes and the, you know, cryptography. And um, I guess the, the loading of the computer program for the signaling of where the, the missile was supposed to go, it was actually on punch tape. Like it was silver, um, but it was like a strip of the boot booting for the computer was still on the strip of tape and that... Um, it was that, so it couldn't be hackable, that it was all internal to the system. And even the, the area with the launch was on these, like there was nothing coming in and nothing coming out except for like one phone, one signal of like the doomsday sound. And that um, the, the whole pod where they were sort of in this cylinder cube was on these giant like springs so that if there was some giant explosion, like the, the thing would level out. And I don't know, it was, 
I mean, it makes it really real to like go down there and look and see what this 1960s era um, scenario was was actually like and and what that history is. But again, I question a lot about what the history actually was. Although you know, I, I respect that you know there are a lot of people who really dedicated their lives. I mean, that this tour guide was very con- convinced that the work that he was doing in the Air Force was a, a peace mission ultimately. So. I guess while while they were planning all the peace, they were also doing all the gaming and the prediction analytics for what's coming next. Okay, so this is from Yevgeny Zamyatin's We, part two, uh, sixth entry. Uh, here we go. Uh, the topics are an incident, the damned, it's clear, and 24 hours. I repeat, I have made it my duty to write without concealing anything. Therefore, sad as it is, I must note here that even among the processes of the hardening, the crystallization of life has evidently not yet been completed. There are still some steps to be ascended before we reach the ideal. The ideal clearly is the condition where nothing happens anymore. But now, well, today's One State Gazette announced that the day after tomorrow there will be a celebration of justice at the plaza of the cube. I think of the cube, I think of the blockchain. This means that once again, some of the number have disturbed the operation of the great state machine. Again, something has happened that was unforeseen, uncalculated. Besides, something has happened to me as well. True, this was during the personal hour, that is at a time especially set aside for unforeseen circumstances. Nevertheless, at about the hour of 16, or to be exact, 10 to 16, I was at home and suddenly the telephone rang. A female voice. D503? Question mark. Yes. Are you free? Yes. This is I, I330. I shall call for you in a moment. We'll go to the ancient house. Agreed? I330. Oh, she irritates and repels me. She almost frightens me, but this is exactly why I said yes. And five minutes later, we were already in the arrow the blue majolica of the Maytime sky, the light sun in its own golden aereo buzzing after us, neither falling behind nor overtaking us, and ahead of us a cloud, white as a cataract, preposterous and puffed out like the cheeks of an ancient Cupid, and somehow disturbing. Our front window is up, wind drying the lips, involuntarily you lick them all the time, and then all the time you think of lips. And then in the distance, blurred green spots out there behind the wall. A slight quick sinking of the heart down, 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 as from a steep mountain. And we are at the ancient house. The whole strange, fragile, blind structure is completely enclosed in a glass shell. Otherwise, of course, it would have fallen apart a long time ago. At the glass door, an old woman, all wrinkled, especially her mouth, Nothing but folds and pleats, the limps suck, lips sunk inward as if the mouth had grown together somehow. It seemed incredible that she would still be able to speak, and yet she spoke. Well, darling, so you've come to see my little house? And the wrinkles beamed. They must have arranged themselves radially, <laughs> creating the impression of beaming. Yes, grandmother, I feel like seeing it again said I-330, and the wrinkles beamed. What sunshine, eh? Well, well now, you little pixie, I know, I know. All right, go in by yourselves, and I'll stay here in the sun. 
Huh. My companion must be a frequent guest here. I had a strong desire to shake something off, something annoying, probably the same persistent visual image, the cloud on the smooth majolica. And as we ascended the broad dark staircase, I-330 said, I love her, that old woman. Why? I don't know, perhaps for her mouth or perhaps for no reason, just like that. I shrugged. She went on smiling faintly or perhaps not smiling at all. I feel terribly guilty. Obviously there should be no love just like that, but only love because all elemental phenomena should. It's clear, I began, but immediately caught myself at the word and cast a stealthy glance at I-330. Had she noticed it or no? She was looking down somewhere. Her eyes were lowered like shades. I thought of the evening hour. At about 22, you walk along the avenue and there among the bright transparent cells, the dark ones with lowered shades, and behind the shades. What was behind the shades within her? Why had she called me today? And what was all of this for? I opened a heavy creaking opaque door and we stepped into a gloomy disorderly place. They call it an apartment. <laughs> the same strange royal musical instrument. And again, the wild, disorganized, mad music like the other time. A jumble of colors and forms. A white, flat area above. Dark blue walls. Red, green, and orange bindings of ancient books. Yellow, bronze chandeliers. A statue of Buddha. Furniture built along lines convulsed in epilepsy, incapable of being fitted into an equation. I could barely endure all that chaos, but my companion evidently was a stronger organism. This is my favorite. And suddenly she seemed to catch herself. A bite smile, a white sharp teeth. I mean, to be exact, the most absurd of all of the apartments. Or to be even more exact, I corrected her, their states. Thousands of microscopic, eternally warring states as ruthless as, of course that's clear, she said, apparently with utmost seriousness. And we crossed a room with small children's beds. The children at that time were also private property. And then more rooms, glimmering mirrors, uh, somber wardrobes, intolerably gaudy sofas, a huge fireplace, a large mahogany bed. Our modern, beautiful, transparent, eternal glass was there only in the pathetic, fragile little window squares. And then imagine, here they all loved just like that, burning, suffering, Again, the dropped shades of the eyes. What stupid, reckless waste of human energy, don't you think? She seemed to speak somehow out of, out of myself. She spoke my thoughts, but in her smile, there was a constant irritating X. Beside, behind the shades, something was going on within her, I don't know what, that made me lose my patience. I wanted to argue with her, to shout at her. Yes, shout. But I had to agree, it was not possible to disagree. She stopped before a mirror, and at that moment I saw only her eyes. I thought, a human being is made as absurdly as these preposterous apartments. Human heads are opaque with only tiny windows in them, the eyes. As though guessing, she turned, well, here are my eyes. Well, silently, of course. And before me, two eerily dark windows, and within such a mysterious alien life, I saw only flame. Some fireplace of her own was blazing there, and shapes resembling. Well, this, of course, was natural. I saw myself reflected in her eyes. 
But what I was feeling was unnatural and unlike me, well, it must have been the oppressive effect of the surroundings. I felt definitely frightened. I felt trapped, imprisoned in that primitive cage, caught by the savage whirlwind of ancient life. You know what? said I, 3.30. Step out for a moment to the next room. Her voice came from there, from within, from behind the dark windows of her eyes, where the fireplace was blazing. I went out and sat down. From a shelf on the wall, the snub-nosed, asymmetrical physiognomy of some ancient poet, Pushkin, I think, smiled faintly right into my face. Why was I sitting there, meekly enduring that smile? Why all of this? Why was I there? Why these ridiculous feelings, that irritating, repellent woman, her strange game? A closet door was shut behind the wall. The rustle of silk. I barely restrained myself from going in and, well, I don't remember exactly. I must have wanted to say very sharp words to her. But she had already come out, and she wore a short, old, vivid yellow dress, a black hat, black stockings. The dress was of light silk, and I could see the stockings very long, much higher than the knees, and the bare throat and the shadow between. Look, you are clearly trying to be original, but don't you? Clearly, she interrupted me, to be original is to be in some way distinct from others. Hence, to be original is to violate equality. And that, which in the language of the ancients was called being banal, is with us merely the fulfillment of our duty. Because. Yes, yes, precisely. I could not restrain myself. And there is no reason for you to, to. And she went over to the statue of the snub-nosed poet and drawing down the blinds over the wild flame of her eyes blazing within her, behind her windows, she said a very sensible thing. I mean, this time it seems to me entirely in earnest, perhaps to mollify, mollify me. Don't you find it astonishing that once upon a time people tolerated such characters? And not only tolerated, but worshiped them. I mean, what a slavish spirit, don't you think? It's clear, I mean, that damned it's clear again. Oh yes, I understand, but actually these poets were masters, far more powerful than their crowned kings. I mean, why weren't they isolated, exterminated, with, with us? Yes, with us, I began, and suddenly she burst out laughing. I mean, I could see that laughter with my eyes, the resonant sharp curve of it, as pliantly resistant as a whip. I remember, and I trembled all over, just to seize her, and I cannot recall what I wanted to do. But I had wanted to do something, anything. Mechanically, I opened my bat, golden badge and glanced at the watch. 10 to 17. Don't you think it's time? I said as politely as I could. And if I ask you to remain here with me, look, do you, do you know what you're saying? In 10 minutes, I must be in the auditorium. And all numbers must attend the prescribed courses in arts and sciences, she said in my voice. And then she raised the blinds and looked up. The fireplace blazed through the dark windows. I know a doctor at the medical office. He is registered with me, and if I ask him, he will give you a certificate that you were sick. Well, and now I understood. At last, I understood where that whole game of hers was leading. So that's it. And do you know, like, and do you know that, like any honest number, I must, in fact, immediately go to the office of the guardians and... And not in fact, sharp smile bite, I am terribly curious, will you go to the office or won't you? 
Are you staying? I put my hand on the doorknob. It was brass, and I heard my voice, and it was also brass. One moment. May I? She went to the telephone and asked for some number, and I was too upset to remember it, and I cried out, I shall wait for you in the ancient house, yes, yes, alone. And I turned the cold brass knob. You will permit me to take the arrow? Yes, certainly, of course. And outside in the sunshine at the entrance, the old woman was dozing like a vegetable. Again, it was astonishing that her close-grown mouth opened as she spoke. And your, did she remain there by herself? By herself. And the old woman's mouth grew together again, and she shook her head. Evidently, even her failing brain understood the full absurdity and danger of the woman's conduct. Exactly at 17, I was at the lecture, and it was only here that I suddenly realized that I had said an untruth to the old woman. I-330 was not there by herself now. Perhaps it was this, that I had unwittingly lied to the woman that tormented me and interfered with my listening. Yes, she was not by herself, and that was the trouble. And after half past 21, I had a free hour. I could go to the office of the guardians right there and then and turn in my report. But I felt extremely tired after that stupid incident. And then the legal time limit for reporting was two days. I would do it tomorrow. I still had 24 hours. Seventh entry. An eyelash, Taylor, henbane, and the lilies of the valley. Night. Green, orange, blue, red royal instrument, orange yellow dress, the bronze Buddha, and suddenly he raises his heavy bronze eyelids and sap begins to flow from them, from Buddha, and sap from the yellow dress and drops of sap trickling down the mirror and from the large bed and the children's beds and now I myself flowing with sap and some strange sweet mortal terror. I woke, soft bluish light glimmer of glass walls, glass chairs and table. This calmed me. My heart stopped hammering, sap, Buddha, what nonsense. Clearly I must be ill. I have never dreamed before. They say that with the ancients dreaming was a perfectly ordinary and normal occurrence. But of course their whole life was a dreadful whirling carousel. Green, orange, Buddhas, sap. We, however, know that dreams are a serious psychic disease. And I know that until this moment my brain has been chronometrically exact, gleaming mechanism without a single speck of dust. But now... Yes, precisely. I feel some alien body in my brain, like the finest eyelash in the eye. You do not feel your body, but that eye with the lash in it, you can't forget it for a second. And the brisk crystal bell over my head, seven o'clock, time to get up. On the right and the left, through the glass walls, I see myself, my room, my clothes, my movements, repeated a thousand times over. This is bracing. You feel yourself a part of the great, powerful single entity and the precise beauty of it, not a single superfluous gesture, curve, or turn. Yes, this tailor was unquestionably the greatest genius of the ancients. True, his thought did not reach far enough to extend his method to all life, to every step, to the 24 hours of every day. He was unable to integrate his system from the one hour to the 24. But still, how could they write whole libraries of book about some Kant, yet scarcely notice Taylor, that prophet who was able to see 10 centuries ahead? Taylor was a Quaker from Philadelphia. Taylorism, the efficiency. 
Breakfast is over. The hymn of the one state is sung in unison in perfect rhythm by fours. We walk to the elevators, the faint hum of motors, and quickly down, down, down with the slight sinking of the heart. And then suddenly again, the stupid dream or some implicit function of the dream. Oh yes, the other day, the descent in the aereo. Well, however, all that is over, period. And it is good that I was so decisive and sharp with her. In the car of the underground, I sped to the place where the graceful body of the integral, still motionless, not yet animated by fire, gleamed in the sun. Shutting my eyes, I dreamed in formulas, and once more I calculated in my mind the initial velocity needed to tear the integral away from the earth. Each fraction of a second, the mass of the integral would change. Expenditure of the explosive fuel, and the equation was very complex with transcendental values. And it's so interesting to be reading this here because the the flame and the explosion and the force and the fuel of the rocket, that's exactly behind me. I didn't know that this was going to be the reading today. It's perfectly synchronous. As through a dream in that firm world of numbers, someone sat down next to me and jostled slightly and said, sorry. I opened my eyes a little, at first glance, in association with the integral. Something rushing into space, a head rushing, because at either side of it stood out pink wing ears. And then the curve at the heavy back of the head, the stooped shoulders, double curved, the letter S. And through the glass walls of my algebraic world, again that eyelash, something unpleasant that I must do today. Oh no, it's nothing, certainly. I smiled at my neighbor, bowing to him, the number S4711 glinting from his badge. So this is why I had associated him with the very first letter S a visual impression unrecorded by the conscious mind. His eyes glinted, two sharp little drills revolving rapidly, boring deeper and deeper in a moment they would reach the very bottom and see what I would not, even to myself. That troubling eyelash suddenly became entirely clear to me. He was one of them. He was one of the guardians, and it was simplest to tell him everything at once without delay. You know, I was at the ancient house yesterday. My voice was strange, somehow flattened out and I tried to clear my voice. Why, that's excellent. It gives material for very instructive conclusions. But you see, I was not alone. I was accompanied, I accompanied number I-330 and I-330, ah, I am delighted for you. A very interesting, talented woman. She has many admirers. But then perhaps he too? And that time during the walk, and maybe he might even be registered for her? No, it was impossible. Unthinkable to talk to him about it. That was clear. Oh, yes, yes, of course, of course, very. I smiled more and more broadly and foolishly than I felt. And this smile makes me look naked and stupid. The little gimlets had reached the very bottom then, whirling rapidly, slipping back into his eyes with a double-edged smile. S nodded to me and then slid away towards the exit. I hid behind my newspaper. It seemed to me that everyone was staring at me and instantly forgot about the eyelash, the gimlets, everything. The news I read was so upsetting that it drove all else out of my mind. There was but just one short line, quote, according to reliable sources, new traces have been discovered of the elusive organization which aims at liberation from the beneficent yoke of the state. Quote, liberation? Amazing, the extent to which criminal instincts persist in human nature. I use the word criminal deliberately. Freedom and crime are linked as indivisibly as well. 
as the motion of the arrow and its speed. When its speed equals zero, it does not move. And once a man's freedom equals zero, he commits no crimes. That is clear. The only means of ridding man of crime is ridding him of freedom. And now, just as we have gotten rid of it, well, on the cosmic scale, centuries are, of course, no more than just. Some wretched half-wits... No, I cannot understand why I did not go to the office of the guardians yesterday immediately. Today, after 16 o'clock, I shall go without fail. At 16.10, I came out and immediately saw O on the corner, all pink with pleasure at the meeting. She now had a simple, round brain. How fortunate. She will understand and support me. But no, I needed no support. I had made a firm decision. The march rang out harmoniously from the trumpets of the music plant. The same daily march. What ineffable delight in this daily repetition, its constancy, its mirror clarity. She seized my hand. Let's walk. The round blue eyes opened wide to me, blue ship windows, and I could step inside without stumbling against anything. Nothing there, that is, well, nothing extraneous or unnecessary. No, no walk today, I must. And I told her where I had to go, and to my astonishment, the rosy circle of her lips compressed itself into a crescent, its horns down as if she had tasted something sour. I exploded. You female numbers seem to be incurably riddled with prejudices. You are totally incapable of thinking abstractly. You will pardon me, but it is plain stupidity. You are going to the spies? Ugh, and I have brought you a spray of lilies of the valley from the botanical museum. Why this and I and the and, just like a woman? Angrily, I confess, I snatched her lilies of the valley. All right, here they are, your lilies of the valley. Well, smell them. It is pleasant, yes? Then why can't you just follow that much logic? Lilies of the valley smell good. Very well. But you cannot speak of smell itself, of the concept of smell as either good or bad. You cannot, can you? There is the fragrance of lilies of the valley, and there is the vile scent stench of henbane. Both are smells. There were spies in the ancient state, and there are spies in ours. Yes, spies. I am not afraid of the words, but it is clear that those spies were henbane, and ours are lily of the valley. Yes, lilies of the valley. The pink crescent trembled. I realized now that it only seemed to me, but at that moment I was sure she would burst out laughing, and I shouted more loudly, Yes, lilies of the valley, and there is nothing funny about it, nothing at all and the smooth round spheres of heads floated by and turned to look. Oh, took me gently by the arm. You are so strange today. Are you not ill? My, the dream, yellow Buddha, it instantly became clear to me that I must go to the medical office. You are right, I am ill, I cried happily. In incomprehensible contradiction, there was nothing to be happy about. Well, then you must see a doctor at once. You understand yourself, it is your duty to be well. It would be ridiculous for me to try to prove it to you. My dear O, oh, of course you are right, absolutely right. I did not go to the office of the guardians. I, it could not be helped. I had to go to the medical office, and they kept me there until 17. And in the evening, it was all the same now, and the evening of the office of the guardians was closed, and O came to me. The shades were not lowered. We were solving problems from an ancient mathematics textbook. It is very calming and helps to clear the mind. O90 sat over the exercise book, her head bent to her left shoulder, her tongue diligently pushing out her left cheek. This was so childlike, so enchanting, and within me everything was pleasant, clear, and simple. And she left. I was alone. I took two deep breaths. This is very beneficial before bedtime, and then suddenly an unscheduled smell, and then again something disturbing, and soon I found it. A spray of lilies of the valley tucked into my bed. 
Immediately, everything swirled up, rose up from the bottom. No, she was simply tactless to leave it there. Very well, I did not go, but it was not my fault that I was sick. Eighth entry, irrational root triangle. Irrational root triangle in R13. How long ago it was during my school years when I first encountered the square root of negative one, or no, negative one divided. A vivid memory, as though cut out of time, the brightly lit spherical hall, hundreds of round boys' heads, and Ploppa, our mathematics teacher. We nicknamed him Ploppa. He was badly worn out, coming apart, and when the monitor plugged him in, the loudspeakers would always start with like, plop, 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 and then only go on to the day's lesson. And one day, Plapa told us about irrational numbers. And I remember, and I cried, and I banged my fists on the table and screamed, I don't want to divide negative one. Take the division of negative one out of me. This irrational number has grown into me like something foreign, alien, terrifying. It devoured me. It was impossible to conceive, to render harmless, because it was outside ratio. And now again, the square uh, negative one divided. I have just, I think the square root of negative one? I'm terrible with math. It's like this. (laughs) Um, I've just glanced through my notes, and it's clear to me I've been dodging, lying to myself merely to avoid seeing the division of negative one. It is nonsense that I was sick and all the rest of it. I could have gone there a week ago. I am sure I, I would have gone without a moment's hesitation. But why now? Why? And today, too, exactly at 1610, I stood before the sparkling glass wall. Above me, the golden, sunny, pure beam of the letters on the sign over the office. Inside, through the glass, I saw the long line of bluish eunuchs, faces glowing like icon lamps in an ancient church. And they had come to perform a great deed, to surrender upon the altar of the one state their loved ones, their friends, themselves. And I, I longed to join them, to be with them, but I could not. My feet were welded deep into the glass slabs of the pavement, and I stood staring, dully, incapable of moving from the spot. Ah, our, mathematic- our mathematician, dreaming. I started, black eyes, lacquered with laughter, thick. The poet, R13, my old friend, and with him, Pink O. I turned angrily. If they had not intruded, I think, finally, I would have torn the division of negative one out of myself with the flesh and entered the office not dreaming admiring if you wish i announced sharply certainly certainly by rights my good friend you should not be a mathematician you ought to be a poet yes really why not transfer us to the poets eh how would you like that i can arrange it in a moment eh r13 speaks in a rush of words they spurt out in a torrent and spray comes flying from his lips every p is a fountain poets a fountain i have served and i will continue to serve knowledge i frowned i neither like nor understand jokes and r13 has the bad habit of joking oh knowledge this knowledge of yours is only cowardice don't argue it's true you're simply trying to enclose infinity behind a wall and you are terrified to glance outside the wall Yes, just try and take a look and you will shut your eyes. Yes, walls are the foundation of all human, I began. And R spurted at me like a fountain and O laughed roundly and rosily and I waved them off. Laugh if you please, it doesn't matter to me. I have other things to think about. I have to do something to expunge, to drown out that damned division of negative one. Well, why not come up to my room, I suggested. Why, we can do some mathematical problems. I thought about this, the, that quiet hour last evening, perhaps it would be quiet today as well. 
And O glanced at R13 and then at me with clear, round eyes. Her cheeks flushed faintly with the delicate, exciting hue of our coupons. But today I, well, today I'm assigned to him. And she nodded at R. And in the evening he is busy, so that... And R's wet, lacquered lips mumbled good-humoredly. Oh, half an hour will be enough for us, right? Oh, I don't care for your problems. Let's go on up to my place for a while. And I was afraid to remain alone with myself or rather with that new foreign being who merely, by some odd chance, had my number D-503. And I went with them to R's place. And true, he is not precise, not rhythmical. He is kind of an inside-out mocking logic. And nevertheless, we are friends. And three years ago, we had chosen together the charming Rosie O. And this bound us even more firmly than our school years. And then up in R's room, everything would seem to be exactly the same as mine. The table, the glass chairs, the closet, the bed. But the moment R entered, he moved one chair, another, and all the planes became displaced and everything slipped out of the established proportions and became non-Euclidean. R is the same as ever. In Taylor and in mathematics, he was always at the bottom of the class. We recalled old Ploppa, the little notes of thanks we boys would paste all over his glass legs. I mean, we were very fond of him. And we reminisced about our law instructor. The instructor had an extraordinarily powerful voice, and it was as though blasts of violent wind blew from the loudspeaker, and we children yelled the texts after him in, deafening, in a deafening chorus. We also recalled how the unruly R13 once stuffed his speaker with chewed up paper, and every text came out with a shot of spitball. R was punished, of course, but what he had done was bad, of course, but now we laughed heartily our whole triangle, and I confess I did too. What if he had been alive, like the ancient teachers, eh? Wouldn't that have been a, a spray of words? <laughs> Sunlight through the ceiling, the walls, sun from above, from the sides reflected from below. O sat on R's lap, and tiny droplets of sunlight gleamed in her blue eyes. And I felt warmed somehow, restored. The division of negative one died down and did not stir. And how is your integral? We shall soon be setting off to educate the inhabitants of other planets. Eh? You better rush it, or else we poets will turn out so much material that even your integral will not be able to lift it. Every day from 8 to 11, R shook his head and scratched it. The back of his head was like a little square valise attached from behind. I recalled the ancient painting in The Carriage. Are you writing for the integral too? I was interested. What about? Like today, for example. Ah, today about nothing. I was busy with something else. His bee spurted out at me. What? R made a grimace. What? What? Well, if you wish, a court sentence. I ver versified a sentence. An idiot. One of our old, one of our poets too. For two years he sat next to me and everything seemed all right. And then suddenly, well, how do you do? I'm a genius, he says. A genius above the law. And he scribbled such a mess. <laughs> well, better not to talk about it. His lips hung. The lacquer vanished from his eyes. And R13 jumped up and stared some, somewhat through the wall. And I looked at his tightly locked little valise thinking... What is he turning over there in that little box of his? A moment of awkward asymmetrical silence. It was unclear to me what the trouble was, but something was wrong. Fortunately, the antediluvian ages of all those Shakespeare's and Dostoevsky's or whatever you call them are gone, I said deliberately loudly. And R turned to face me. The words still rushed out of him like spray, but it seemed to me that the merry shine was no longer in his eyes. Yes, my dearest mathematician, fortunately, 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 we are the happiest arithmetical mean. As you mathematicians say, integration from zero to infinity, from Cretan to Shakespeare. Yes, 
I do not know why it seemed completely irrelevant, but I recalled the other one, her tone. The finest thread seemed to extend from her to R. What was it? And again, the negative square root of one began to stir, stir, and I opened my badge, and it was 25 minutes to 17, and they had 45 minutes left for their pink coupon. Well, I must go. I kissed O and shook hands with R and went out to the elevator. And in the street, when I had already crossed to the other side, I glanced back in the bright uh, sun-permeated glass hulk of the building squares, a bluish-gray, opaque drawn shades could be seen here and there, squares of rhythmic tailorized happiness, and on the seventh floor I found R13 square. He had already drawn the blind. Dear O, dear R, in him there is also, and I don't know why also, but let my hand write as it will, in him there is also something not entirely clear to me. And yet, he, I, and O, we are a triangle, though perhaps not equilateral, but a triangle nonetheless, and to put it into the language of our ancestors, perhaps my planetary readers, this language is more comprehensible to you, we are a family, and it is good, it is so good occasionally, if only briefly, to relax, to rest, and to enclose yourself in a simple, strong triangle from all of that. Ninth entry, liturgy iambics and troches and a cast iron hand a bright solemn day on such days you forget your weaknesses imprecisions ailments ailments and everything is crystal immutable eternal like our glass the cube plaza 66 great concentric circles of stands 66 rows of quiet luminous faces eyes reflecting the glow of the sky or perhaps the glow of the one state blood red flowers the woman's lips tender garlands of childish faces in the front row near the center of the action absorbed stern gothic silence according to the descriptions that have come down to us something familiar was experienced by the ancients during their relig religious services but they worship their own irrational unknown God. We serve our rational and precisely known one. Their God gave them nothing except eternal tormenting, searching. Their God had not been able to think of anything more sensible than offering himself as a sacrifice for some incomprehensible reason. We, on the other hand, offer a sacrifice to our God, the one state, a calm, reasoned, sensible sacrifice. Yes, this was our solemn liturgy to the one state, a remembrance of the awesome time of trial, of the 200 years war, a grandiose celebration of the victory of all over one, of the sum over the individual. The one, he stood on the steps of the sun-filled cube, a white, no, not even white, already col colorless face, uh, a glass face, glass lips, and only the eyes, black, greedy, engulfing holes, and the dread world from which he was but minutes away, and the golden badge with his number had already been removed. His arms were bound with a purple ribbon, an ancient custom. It evidently dates back to olden times before such things were done in the name of the one state, and in those days the condemned understandably felt that they had the right to resist, and so their hands were usually bound in chains. And all the way above, upon the cube, near the machine, the motionless figure, as if cast in metal, of him, whom we shall call the benefactor, his face could not be seen in detail from below. All you could tell was that it was defined in square, austere, majestic contours. But the hands, it sometimes happens in photographs that the hands placed in the foreground to, near the camera, come out huge, so that they hold the eye and shut out all the rest. And so, with these heavy hands still calmly reposing on the knees, and it was clear that they were stone, and the knees were barely able to support their weight. 
And then suddenly one of those huge hands slowly rose, a slow cast iron movement. And from the stands, obeying the raised hand, a number approached the cube. He was one of the state poets whose happy lot it was to crown the celebration with his verse. Divine brass iambics thundered over the stands about the madman with the gl glass eyes who stood there on the steps awaiting the logical results of his mad ravings. A blazing fire in the iambics building swayed and went up in jets of liquid gold, collapsed. Fresh green trees withered, shriveled, sap dripping out. Nothing remains but the black crosses of their skeletons. But now Prometheus, meaning us, appeared. He harnessed fire in the machine, in steel, and bound chaos in the chains of law. That's the smart contract layer. And everything was new, and everything was steel, a steel sun, a steel tree, steel men, but suddenly a madman unchained the fire and everything would perish again. Unfortunately, I have a poor memory for verses, but I remember one thing. It would have been impossible to choose more beautiful, more instructive images. Again, the slow, heavy gesture and a second poet appeared on the steps of the cube, and I even rose a little from my seat. It could not be. No. Those were his lips. It was he. Why hadn't he told me he was about to have this high? And his lips trembled and they were gray and I understood to appear before the benefactor, before the entire host of guardians, yet be so nervous. Shark quick troches like blows of an axe about a heinous crime, about sacrilegious verse, which dared to call the benefactor. No, my hand refuses to repeat it. R13 sank into his seat, pale, looking at no one. I would not have expected him to be so shy, and for the smallest fraction of a second I had a glimpse of someone's face, a dark, sharp-pointed triangle flashing near him and then vanishing at once. My eyes, thousands of eyes, turned up to the machine, the third cast-iron gesture of the non-human hand, and the transgressor, swayed by an unseen wind, walked slowly up one stair, another, and now the last step in his life, and he is on his last bed, face to the sky, head thrown back. The benefactor, heavy, stony as fate, walked around the machine, placed his huge hand on the lever. Not a sound, not a breath. All eyes were on that hand. What a fiery gust of exultation one must feel to be the instrument, the resultant of a hundred thousand wills. What a great destiny. An infinite second. The hand moves down, switching on the current. A flash of the intolerably dazzling blade of the ray, sharp as a shiver, faint crackling of the tubes in the machine. The prone body enveloped in a light, glowing mist and melting, melting before our eyes, dissolving with appalling speed and then nothing, only a small puddle of chemically pure water, which but a moment ago had pulsed redly, wildly in the heart. All of this was elementary and known to everyone, yet disassociation of matter, yes, splitting of the atom of the human body, and yet each time was a miracle, a token of the superhuman power of the benefactor. Above us, facing him, the flushed faces of ten female numbers, lips parted with excitement, flowers swaying in the wind. According to the old custom, ten women garlanded with flowers, the benefactor's unif, still wet with spray, and with the majestic step of a high priest, he slowly descended and slowly walked between the stands, and in his wake, the delicate white branches of female hands raised high, and a million voices, voiced storm of cheers, shouted in unison, and then cheers in honor of the host of the guardians, invisibly present somewhere here within our ranks, 
Who knows, perhaps it was precisely these guardians who had been foreseen by the imagination of ancient man when he created his dread and gentle archangels assigned to each man from birth. Yes, there was something of the old religions, something purifying like a storm in that solemn ceremony. You will read this. Are you familiar with such moments? I pity you if you are not. I think this will be my last one, the 10th entry. A letter, a membrane, and my shaggy self. Yesterday was to me like the paper through which chemists filter their solutions, all suspended particles, all that is superfluous remains on this paper. And this morning I went downstairs, freshly distilled and transparent. Downstairs in the vestibule, the controller sat at her table, glancing at the watch and writing down the numbers of those who entered. Her name is you. But I had better not mention her number, lest I say something unflattering about her. Although essentially she is quite respectable, middle-aged woman. The only thing I disliked about her is that her cheeks sag like the gills of a fish. But why should that disturb me? Her pen scraped, and I saw myself on the page, D503, and next to me, an ink blot. I was just about to draw her attention to it when she raised her head and dripped an inky little smile at me. There is a letter for you. Yes, you will get it, my dear. Yes, yes, you will get it. I know that the letter which she had read still had to pass the office of the guardians. I believe there is no need to explain to you this is natural a natural procedure and would reach me not later than twelve, but I was disturbed by that little smile the ink drop muddied my transparent solution. So much, in fact, that later at the integral construction site I could not concentrate and I even made a mistake in my calculations, which had never happened to me before. At twelve, again the pinkish-brown gills, and finally the letter was in my hands. I don't know why I did not read it at once, but I slipped it into my pocket and hurried to my room. I opened it and ran through it and sat down. It was an official notification that number I-330 had registered for me and that I was to be at her room today at 21. The address was given below. No! After everything that had happened, after I had so unequivocally shown my feelings toward her, Besides, she did not even know whether I had gone to the office of the guardians. After all, she had no way of learning that I had been sick. Well, that I generally could not, and despite all of this, a dynamo whirled and hummed in my head. Buddha, yellow silk, lilies of the valley, a rosy crescent. Oh, and yes, this too, oh, was to visit me today. I show her the notice concerning I-330. I didn't know. She would not believe, indeed, how could she, that I have nothing to do with it, and that it was entirely... And I was sure there would be a difficult and senseless, absolutely illogical conversation. No... Only not that. Let everything be resolved automatically. I would simply send her a copy of the notice. I hurriedly stuffed the notice into my pocket, and suddenly I saw this dreadful ape-like hand of mine, and I recalled how I-330 had taken my hand that time during the walk and looked at it. Did she really? And then it was a quarter to twenty-one. A white night. Everything seemed to be made of greenish glass, but a very different glass from ours. Fragile, unreal, a thin glass shell and under it something whirling, rushing, humming, and I would not have been astonished if the cupolas of the auditorium had risen up in slow, round clouds of smoke, and the elderly moon smiled inkily like the woman at the table in the morning, and all the shades dropped suddenly in all the houses behind all the shades. A strange sensation. I felt as though my ribs were iron rods, constricting, definitely constricting my heart. There was not enough room for it, and I stood before the glass door with the, gla the golden figures, I-330, and she was sitting with her back to me at the table, writing something. 
I entered. Here, I held out the pink coupon. It was notified today, and so I came. How prompt you are. One moment, may I? Sit down and I'll just finish. Again, her eyes turned down into the letter and what was going on within her behind those lowered shades. What would she say? What was I to do a minute later? How could I find out? How could I calculate it when all of her was from there, from the savage ancient land of dreams? I looked at her silently. My ribs were iron rods. I could not breathe. And when she spoke, her face was like a rabbit, rapid, sparkling wheel. You could not see the individual spokes. But now the wheel was motionless and I saw a strange combination. Dark eyebrows raised high at the temples, a mocking sharp triangle. And yet another pointing upward the two deep lines from the corners of her mouth to the nose. And these triangles somehow contradicted one another, stamped the entire face with an unpleasant irritating X, like a slanting cross, a face marked with a cross. The wheel began to turn and the spokes ran together. So you did not go to the office of the guardian? I, I did not. I, I could not. I was sick. Well, certainly I thought so. Something had to prevent you no matter what. Sharp teeth smile. But now you know, but now you are in my hands. You remember every number who has failed to report to the office of the guardians within 48 hours is considered. My heart thumped so violently that the rods bent and caught stupidly like a boy and stupidly I kept silent and I felt I'm trapped. I can't move a hand or a foot. She stood up and stretched lazily, and then she pressed a button, and the shades dropped, crackling lightly. I was cut off from the world, alone with her. I-330 was somewhere behind me, near the closet. Her unif rustled, fell. I listened. All of me listened, and I remembered. No, it flashed upon me within one hundredth of a second. I had had occasion recently to calculate the curve for a street membrane of a new type. Now, these membranes, gracefully camouflaged, were installed on every street, recording all conversations for the office of the guardians. And I remember the rosy concave quivering film, the strange creature consisting of a single organ, an ear. It, I, was a mem I was such a membrane at this moment. A click of the fastening at the collar, on the breast still lower, the glass silk rustled down the shoulders, knees dropped to the floor, and I heard more clearly than I could see one foot step out of the bluish-gray silk pile, the other, the tautly stretched membrane quivered and recorded silence. No, sharp blows of a hammer against the iron rods with endless pauses, and I heard, I saw her behind me, thinking for a second, and now the closet doors, the click of the opening lid, and again, silk, silk. Well, if you please, and I turned, she was in a light saffron yellow dress of the ancient model. This was a thousand times more cruel than if she had worn nothing. Two pointed tips through the flim filmy silk, glowing pink, two embers through the ash, two delicately rounded knees. She sat in a low armchair. On the rectangular table before her, a bottle with something poisonously green, two tiny glasses on stems, and at the corner of her lips, a thread of smoke, that ancient smoking substance in its finest paper tube. I forget what it's called and the membrane still quivered. The hammer pounded inside me against the red iron rods, and I clearly heard each blow, and then suddenly, well, what if she heard it too? But she puffed calmly, glancing at me calmly, and carelessly shook off the ash on my pink coupon. As coolly as I could, I asked, Now, listen, if that's the case, why did you register for me, and why did you compel me to come here? It was as if she did not hear. She poured the liquid from the bottle into her glass and sipped it delicious liqueur. Would you like some? 
It was only now that I understood. Alcohol. Yesterday's scene flashed like a stroke of lightning, the benefactor's stony hand, the blinding ray. But on the cube, above this, body prostrate with the head thrown back, I shuddered. Listen, I said, you know that everyone who has poisons himself with nicotine, especially alcohol, is ruthlessly destroyed by the one state. Dark eyebrows rose to the temples, a sharp, mocking triangle. Quick destruction of a few is more sensible than giving many the opportunity to ruin themselves, and then degeneration and so on, right to the point of indecency? Yes, to the point of indecency. And if this little company of naked, bald truths were to be let out in the street, not just imagine, well, take the most constant admirer of mine, oh, but you know him, well, imagine that he had discarded all the falsehood of clothes and stood among the people in his true shape. Oh, she laughed, but I could clearly see her lower, sorrowful triangle, the two deep lines from the corners of her mouth to her nose, and for some reason these lines revealed it to me, that stooping, wing-eared, doubly curved, he embraced her as she was, he, but I am trying to convey the feelings, the absolute abnormal feelings I had at that moment. And now, as I write this, I am perfectly aware that all of this is as it should be. Like every honest number, he has an equal right to joy, and it would be unjust. Oh, well, but this is clear. I, 330, laughed very strangely and very long, and then she looked closely at me, into me. But the main thing is that I am completely at ease with you. You are such a dear, oh, I am sure of it. You will never think of going to the office and reporting that I drink liqueur and that I smoke, and you will be sick or you will be busy or whatever, and I am even sure that in a moment you will drink this marvelous poison with me. That brazen mocking tone, I definitely felt now, and I hate her again. But why the now? I have hated her all the time. And she tilted the whole glass full of green poison into her mouth and stood up, glowing pink through the transparent saffron, and took several steps and stopped behind my chair. And suddenly an arm around my neck and lips into lips, no, somewhere still deeper, still more terrifying. I swear this took me completely by surprise, and perhaps that was the only reason why. And after all, I could not now, I realize it clearly, I myself could not have wanted what happened after that. Intolerably sweet lips. I suppose it must have been the taste of the liqueur. And a mouthful of fiery poison flowed into me. Then more and more, and I broke away from the earth, and like a separate planet, whirling madly, rushed down, down, along an unknown, uncalculated orbit. What followed can be described only approximately, only by one, by more or less close analogies. It has never occurred to me before, but this is truly how it is. All of us on earth walk constantly over a seething scarlet sea of flame, hidden below in the belly of the earth. We never think of it. But what if the thin crust under our feet should turn into glass and we should suddenly see? And I became glass and I saw within myself. There were two of me, the former one, D-503, number D-503, and the other. And before he had just barely shown his hairy paws from within the shell, now all of him broke out and the shell cracked a moment and it would fly to pieces and then, then what? And with all my strength, as though clutching at a straw, I gripped the arms of the chair and asked only to hear myself, the other self, the old one, where, where did you get this poison? Oh, this, a certain doctor, one of my, one of my, one of my, what? And then suddenly the other leaped out and yelled, I won't allow it. I, I want no one but me. I'll kill anyone because I, because you, I, and I saw he seized her roughly with his shaggy paws and tore the silk and sang his teeth, sank his teeth into, and 
I remember exactly his teeth. And I don't know how, but I-330 managed to slip away, and now her eyes behind the damned impermeable shade, she stood leaning with her back against the wardrobe and listened to me. I remember I was on the floor embracing her legs, kissing her knees and pleading, now, right this very minute, right now, and sharp teeth, sharp mocking triangle eyebrows, she bent down and silently unpinned my badge. Yes, yes, darling, darling, and I hurried and I began to throw off my unif, but I-330 just as silently showed me the watch on my badge. It was five minutes to 22 and a half. I turned cold. I knew what it meant to be seen in the street after 22 and a half, and my madness vanished as if it blown away. I was myself, and one thing was clear to me. I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. And without a goodbye, without a backward glance, I rushed out of the room, hurriedly pinning on the badge as I ran, skipping steps down the stairway, afraid of meeting someone in the elevator, and I burst into the empty street. Everything was in its usual place. So simple, ordinary, normal. The glass houses gleaming with lights, the pale glass sky, the motionless greenish night. But under this cool, quiet glass, something violent, blood red, shaggy, rushed soundlessly. And I raced, gasping not to be late. And suddenly I felt the hastily pinned badge loosening. It slipped off, clicking on the glass pavement. And I bent down to pick it up. And in the momentary silence, I heard the stamping of feet behind me. And I turned. Something little bowed, slunk out from the, around the corner, or so it seemed to me at the time. I rushed on at full speed, the air whistling, the wind in my ears, and at the entrance I stopped. The watch showed one minute before, 22 and a half, and I listened, and there was no one behind me. Obviously, it had all been a preposterous fantasy, the effect of the poison. It was a night of torment. My bed rose and sank and rose again under me, floating against a sinusoid. I argued with myself, at night numbers must sleep. It is their duty, just as it is their duty to work in the day. Not sleeping at night is criminal, and yet I could not, I could not. I am perishing, I am, un I am unable to fulfill my obligation to the one state, I. Okay, so it's kind of actually getting chilly here. So I'm gonna stop here, uh, head towards the airport next, and I'll just take in a little of the view out there. All right, so this is just a little view. This is the area that we took the tour in previously, and you can see that's the launch site. It's been, um, I guess it's hard to see from a distance, uh, the launch site for the missiles, the Titan II missiles is back there, that beige, and the various rocket engines, and the fuel supplies, and I guess the helicopter that transported the people here, and these staggered hills in the distance are part of a copper mine. And then this is just, it talks about the museum itself, and you know the Air Force installation. This is this kind of crazy ham radio device in the distance. It says don't get too close because there's some sort of radiation coming off of it. It's pretty interesting. And um, I need to figure out who uh, Count Ferdinand von Gallen is. That's kind of an interesting thing. So this is the, the door and uh, you can kind of decommissioned. Yeah, and I'm just gonna sort of show you here. So let's see, okay, so here are the, the donors. This will be maybe interesting. So Count Ferdinand von Gallen is one of the, the 50,000 donors. It's a park service site and uh, Phelps Dodge Titan missile donation box, various people, yeah. 
So, and I noticed this yesterday at, at the biosphere, there's all of these big boulders of malachite from the same family, Alan and Ruthie Preston. And I'm, I'm not sure what the significance of the malachite boulders are. I mean, they're quite beautiful, but they're near all of these installations. So it's, I don't know, to me, it seems a bit, a bit odd. So anyway, there's the, there's that. So, all right, on to the airport.